Welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Adapted PE podcast. This week, we have Brad Wiener joining us. Brad, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. You've had some really good uh, episodes prior to this, so I'm excited to join you. Well, that's that's really, really kind of you to say. So I first um, I first had the opportunity to see Brad for the listeners was actually at a uh, a NAPEC conference, um, and he was presenting, and I'm not just saying this because he's my guest, but the, the stuff he was sharing, I just, I had to go up and take pictures afterwards of his slides. It was before you could share stuff easily, quite honestly. It was back, I think it was the Berlin game one. And so truly, truly one of the best in the field, uh, former National Teacher of the Year, so we're excited to have him. But Brad, why don't you just go ahead and tell everyone what your current role is and um, just a little bit of background about yourself. So after about uh, 17 years of being an adaptive physical educator in Maryland, uh, I have now transitioned into a more leader, a leadership role as an adaptive physical education educational specialist with Fairfax County Public Schools in Virginia. Uh, in this role, I oversee 56 itinerants who travel between schools, and then I support 67 school-based adaptive physical education teachers that uh, support at the secondary level. So when you're thinking about Fairfax County in Virginia, it is a very large county, but we do a lot of great work with the adaptive physical educators that we have. And I am spending uh, a lot of my time supporting those teachers through observation, through uh, answering advocacy questions and policy and procedure questions, providing professional development, and really whatever they need, whatever I can do to support their work is my role. That's really interesting. And I'm blown away by your numbers because I'm in a uh, a similar position in San Diego, uh, what we call a lead adaptive PE teacher. So I'm, I'm not, there is a program manager above me, but the, our 39 teachers report into myself and two other individuals. It's a split position. But you, you mentioned that you have 56 itinerants and then 67 school-based so there's over a hundred teachers that you're responsible for that are teaching adaptive physical education in your district. So I am not an evaluator. So I like to say that I am more of a support. Okay. While I oversee the itinerants more than the school-based teachers, all teachers within Fairfax have a base school where they have a principal that is their evaluator. Now I support those principals by doing observations writing a very detailed write-up that I share with the principal to support that evaluation process, because I know a lot of principals uh, don't really have that physical education background. And my report is looking specifically at somebody that, at the skill sets for somebody in adaptive physical education. So I'm able to support my teachers through that write-up. I do the hiring for the itinerants. Uh, I do not do the hiring for the school-based teachers. So the school-based teachers are hired by the principals, put in the position, and uh, then I am kind of the, their support in making sure that adaptive physical education occurs and follows the policies and procedures. Uh, so you can see that with that and not having that control and not knowing their background, so we're not, I'm not involved in that hiring process, there's a lot of support that sometimes is needed within school-based more than my itinerants that I personally hire. 
That's a very interesting setup. And um, it actually sounds like maybe we do more similar work because I am not responsible for evaluations either. I do play a hand in in hiring. Um, we're all itinerant. So walk me through that then. You've talked about how you have itinerants and then you have school-based. What are, what are some of the d- determining factors that someone would be a school-based adapted PE teacher versus itinerant, meaning they travel around your county or district? Again, the, the principals will hire their adapted physical education school-based teacher. Sometimes they will uh, see what teachers they already have in the building and move that teacher into the position of adaptive physical education for that year. For myself, um, somebody will apply to be an itinerant. I will see the list of applicants and then I will set up an interview and they will be brought into the adaptive physical education itinerant program. The itinerants are while they're based out of uh, a school that I put them in, they are connected to the the Department of Special Services, Special Education Services. However, I get uh, I get a pot of money, and from that pot of money, it's dispersed to all the adaptive physical education teachers. So I am giving principals and schools an allocation of money for that's uh, that teacher to provide the adaptive physical education service in that school. And then I'm also dividing that allocation up across itinerant. It's a big job. About how many schools between the itinerants and the school-based, about how many schools does your district, are you responsible for? 204 schools within the county. That is, uh, that's a lot. That's in, in my, mine similar. I just keep relating it to myself there that it's, that it's a similar size to us. I think we're, I think we're just over 210 for just the city of San Diego. We're not a county district, but, um, but nonetheless, at least by building size, but I'm sure that you must, a factor if you must be then since you're such a lar- large landmass of a county that you have to factor in um, travel times and things like that for your teachers when you assign them. There is travel time that is taken into consideration we try to cluster the schools together so that there's less travel time. Um, but we are a very supportive program. So if somebody needs help, another person may have to, you know, from time to time travel a little bit further. But in the beginning of the year, we do try to cluster the schools so that there is less travel time and more time for students. Why don't you talk us through then, and again, I know your teaching experience comes from Maryland, and, and now you're in Fairfax County, Virginia, but why don't you kind of talk us through the various things you're seeing at your school sites when you go out to observe, maybe, or you go out to support. So maybe the different types of teaching models you're seeing, or so, just some of the some of the work that's being done in Fairfax County that you think is pretty cool that you think the listeners might enjoy learning about. In terms of pretty cool, our program has a lot of creative individuals and it's not necessarily the the program but it's what the itinerants are bringing to the environment you had matthew barker on as your first episode he was a excellent first episode to start off with he is one of the most creative people that i have ever seen in our field in what he does to meet the needs of his student with significant support needs using assistive technology uh, and lots of diversity in in technology. He's just one example of so many people within our program that are building equipment, that are uh, creating various picture symbols, uh, and are really working hard to meet the needs of our students. So they're really taking the time to understand their students as individuals and then 
making the providing the supports to what those students needs. I was out as a teacher last week. She is a first year teacher in our program. She had created token boards that was individualized for each student related to the student's interest. So one student likes uh, presidents. They had their own token board related to presidents. While another student likes cars and they had a token board related to cars. The time and energy to, to really think through what is going to motivate your students and then creating not just one generic token board or one generic schedule, but really individualizing that visual to the student is just one example of another cool thing that is occurring. A lot of cool things. We have a national conference coming up April 14th where we like to share what we are doing here. So that is a free conference uh, that will be virtual to anybody and you can join and see some of the, the cool things that we do. But um, in terms of programming, our itinerants are supporting the implementation with the physical education teachers. And so that's not speaking about uh, a setting, but that's speaking about the collaboration that occurs, that our general physical educators are, um, are also teaching the classes alongside with our itinerant. You touched on something that I, I was going to want to touch on because I, you've heard me mention it on other episodes and I, I see it happen when I talk to people around the country that it seems that if you often hear said like, oh, they went to adapted PE and that adapted PE teacher was basically the, providing PE at the, at that for basically all the kids in the class. What my district runs into is that many of the sites have a physical education teacher and, and it's, it's our position that that's, that's where this sort of thing starts. It starts with physical education, right? And then how do we, how do we support that? And it's, it can look different for every kid based on their IEP for sure. But how do we support that? It's not that, oh, here's the AP teacher. You just automatically go to AP class and you take all the kids. So that was really interesting to hear you touch on. They're supporting the general PE teacher. Can you talk a little bit more about what that maybe looks at, like at some of your school sites? So one of the big things in Fairfax that I'm trying to change mindsets and terminology is that adaptive physical education is a special education service. It is not a setting or placement. Uh, so it is, the content is physical education. The service is adapted physical education. And so when, and so we are supporting that content of physical education, very similar to a special education teacher that may be supporting the content of math or science. And uh, within Virginia, this there's, Kind of an unfortunate thing here, but within Virginia, you only need three credits in order to provide adaptive physical education service. So that really is unfortunate because individuals that may not have that background experience and knowledge are then tasked with providing a service that they are not uh, equipped to do. That is where our itinerants that I get to hire come in and support those individuals that have that lack of knowledge and experience. We have some general physical educators in our program though that are excellent and very knowledgeable. So it becomes a very much collaborative experience where uh, they are working together. And while the general physical education teacher may be the teacher of record, that does not mean that they have to lead the entire class. I, it, it's a smooth 
interaction through collaboration where everybody knows what's happening. So at some points, the adaptive physical education itinerant takes a lead. And then at some points, the general physical education teacher takes a lead and they're working together. That's a huge point. Uh, and, and I say that because it's a model that I am currently doing at a high school where I co-teach. And we do have general ed students in there as well. So, of course, not everything is appropriate for my students. And I need to then provide a small group sort of parallel setting is some of the language I use and so that I that I can meet their needs. But what I've seen happen oftentimes with co-teaching, and for those listening, I threw up some air quotes with co-teaching, is that unfortunately, too many times for me, as I've seen the adapted PE teacher is basically a very well-paid instructional assistant at that point. And they just kind of float around the environment. So to your point, it takes it takes planning, it takes prep, and it should be somewhat seamless. Whether the students come, whatever population the students come from, they should recognize that they're both teachers. So when they're providing instruction, it's as if the other person is providing instruction and vice versa. And I think that's a just a really important point to it. So it's really it's really great to hear that that's happening more regularly across your district. It is. And, you know, at times we have to work with different personalities. You know, that that's any job. I'm sure, you know, that you sometimes have to work with a personality that doesn't jive with yours. But uh, the adaptive physical education itinerants that I have in the program are very flexible and adapt very well, given the fact that they're in multiple schools, that one physical educator uh, may work one way and another physical educator may work another way, and that they may have to adapt in order to build that trusting relationship and that, uh, you know, successful working relationship. And it must be interesting for you to, you talked about personalities, so your teachers have to work with personalities on the school site. But then you're also managing some of your personality. So I'm sure as you support, that must be an interesting dynamic of, you know, if you go into a school site to help support, all of a sudden you're dealing with maybe two different personality types and you have to help facilitate. So it makes your role pretty interesting. Yes, 100 percent. I need to be flexible <laughs> myself. Uh, I find that I'm. I am also. Relate, I am also supporting personalities for principals special education chairs, uh, special education teachers, and how they think they know adaptive physical education or what they think they know adaptive physical education to be, and trying to provide that education of what it really is. And being able to advocate to them is extremely important because there are times when an adaptive physical education itinerant is sitting in a room amongst administrators and special education chairs and special education teachers, and they feel outnumbered. Mm -hmm. And so um, when that happens and taking and consider taking the knowledge that administrators and these special education teachers have the knowledge base from when they were in the when they were teaching many years ago, uh, and that's not necessarily how things are supposed to be done. That's where I have to come in and be able to advocate for adaptive physical education and support the teachers. And that's why Fairfax is great because my teachers have me to come in and support them in there. There are a lot of people in this country that don't have that support. They're sitting in that room by themselves and they don't have you or I to kind of ask questions or to ask to come in and help them out. And so they are forced to advocate for themselves and if they don't have that knowledge base, then it becomes uh, a difficult challenge to uh, advocate for themselves. 
It's so true. And a few of the guests you've heard, you know, they're one of one or one of two or one of 1.5. And obviously the district is smaller than that sporting 204 schools like, like yours, but uh, it, it's a very good point that it's, it's great to have someone like yourself come in, but that's why you're paid the big bucks, right? That's why they, they pay you just so well. So you mentioned professional developments and that you lead them and you offer them. Can you give some examples of some recent professional developments you've led and specifically like maybe just what the topics were so that the listeners can get an idea of what maybe they should be looking into to better their practice? In January, we held a professional development and my teachers, my itinerant teachers also took some leads in providing some professional development. We had about 25 sessions across the day, and I invited those school-based adaptive physical education teachers and the itinerants to come together uh, so that they can both interact with each other uh, as a a large group and engage in this learning. So for the school-based adaptive physical education teachers, they needed support in a different way than my itinerants. They got professional development on goal writing, on adaptive physical education, kind of the law and policies and procedures behind it around the IEP process. We have a software that we use. So I had some itinerants kind of go through the use of that software and where adaptive physical education would go within that software uh, so that they can write the IEPs. Data collection was another big one. Can I jump in there on data collection? Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, can you go deeper on data collection? Do you mean like Google Forms? Like what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean when you say data collection? In terms of this professional development, it was the basics of, hey, we have to look at the goal in order to create this data sheet. And this is uh, a structure that you can create within this data sheet. Within the itinerant program, they often are using uh, Google's documents that mm-hmm. they can um, either print off or uh, type up because at the end of the year within the itinerant program, you may not be servicing your students the prior year. So there's got to be a lot of sharing of documents. So they use a lot of Google Docs. Um, Google Forms is a a great use, except the the difficulty is is when you transition that student to another teacher, I have not figured out a way to then transition that Google form as a form to where somebody else would be able to collect the data. So you can share your data because it goes into a Google sheet, but the Google form itself can't be shared. So at the current time, the copy of the form. So we have a parent questionnaire. That's a Google form that goes home that we have forced copies of so that not all of the parents are, populating to one form since some of the information is confidential. So all right. So I'm learning something new here. So if you after you collect the data, you can then make a forced copy of it and the person would then create a copy of it and start scratch. That yeah. And and let's connect offline for that just so I can for sure verify that. But I'm almost positive that's what we're doing in my department when it comes to some of our parent questionnaires. Yeah. No, that would be excellent because that would solve that uh, issue and and Google Forms is great because it gives you again that 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 sheet that can then be put into graphs and you know it's an easier way to analyze the data that you're collecting, so that works well. Yeah, and like you said, the my my district is a Google Docs district. Um, we actually have we're actually on the so we have an IEP program like you spoke to us a piece of software, but then we actually also have a notes piece of software that is the one that our therapists are housed on as well 
that we have been given access to. And that's where we put all of our notes in. So to your point about students carrying on, everything is housed in there. And we've actually taken a step this year to where we're, uh, the, the hard copy of an assessment protocols needs to go in the student's cumulative file in the main office. But we're also taking a photocopy and uploading it to our notes system so that just to cover our tracks, just to cover our tracks that there's a there's a copy of it there. You can get access to it. So that's that's how we're dealing with that. But I know. But again, Google Docs, it's so easy to share from that. You, you brought up someone in your department doing awesome work with token boards. And you brought up Matt Barker, who is just on another planet than about most of I mean, the guys, the guys remarkable. And I hope people have listened to that episode because you just leave it being like, wow, I am not doing nearly as much as this guy. But um, what about visuals in your history, Brad, whether it be as a teacher or as an administrator, where would where would you tell the listeners? um, Where would you coach the listeners to either get visuals or visuals that you you have found to be useful for yourself? Are you just a Google search guy or is there a program you used? Yeah. So when I was teaching actually preschool, I they're very much theme, thematic based. And so from that, I started to uh, utilize pictures from their curriculum. And then I started to have speech therapists come into my program and kind of help me to uh, utilize pictures a little bit more. So uh, they are really up there. I, I really push forward for visuals. And so the big one that I am in uh, invested in is called lesson.com. Uh, lessonpix.com. That's lessonpix.com. They have a great number of different visuals. These are individual, the people that created the program were speech language pathologists, and they are taking information. So if I want uh, a symbol, I can share it with, I can share what symbol I want, and they will create it. They have gone so far as to understand that they need pictures in high contracts. And so now there are options of having pictures in high contrast. I can also manipulate some of their pictures by combining or by changing the colors of theirs. Uh, Once I identify the pictures that I want, they then have templates so that I can easily put it into a schedule board. I can make a bingo board. I can make a a game board. I can make a, a multiple choice test. I could with pictures. I mean, there's so many different templates that I can just automatically pick the pictures, pick the template, and it makes it for me. I print it out. I can um, I can download it into PowerPoint. I can download it into Google Slides. So Lesson Picks is has become my favorite. They also have a, a built-in timer in the program. They have a built-in random selection. So I pick my pictures of exercises and I want the random selection with the bear and the hat and I I click the button and out of the hat comes one of the pictures that was in my my tray that I selected I pushed for that and I I use a little bit I don't have a big budget but a little bit of my budget Mm -hmm. I make sure that all my teachers all my itinerants have uh, access to lesson picks so that they could be creating pictures and so I'm guessing that's like a yearly subscription sort of a model it is. So as an individual, it's $36 a year. Okay. And when I was a teacher, I felt that it was, uh, you know, worth it to spend $36 a year for this software. There are certainly other softwares out there. Symbol Sticks is another one that is very popular, but I just choose, I really like what Lesson Picks provides. 
Yeah, we just bought one license to symbol sticks so that we so that we can play around with it basically and then decide if it's a if it's a path we want to go. But I'm gonna look into lesson picks because lesson picks is a little bit easier on the 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 wallet, so to speak, if if we're gonna try to get multiple licenses. So that's really that's really, really helpful. And um I appreciate that. It's interesting. I found some good stuff on teacher pay teachers. I think the the heart my specific complaint is my district has access to board maker. I'm not sure if you've ever used board maker. It's basically what you're talking about. But when it comes to our field, like it's okay. You know what I mean? Like it's like things are, I, I feel like with visuals, we just have to accept that a lot of it's going to be generalized and you just need consistency in what you're using so that your students understand that whatever you've assigned the picture to, they can learn that that's what you're trying to go for. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I used to have a green circle on the floor. So I just Put a green circle on my symbol mm -hmm. and that's what it became so uh but what's nice with lesson picks is that they uh do have a lot of pictures related to sensory so if you wanted to do like a heavy weight exercise of the wheelbarrow or an exercise using an exercise ball or somebody needs to be rolled up like a like a burrito they have all these sorts of pictures for sensory also or a chew toy you know, that, that, you know, some students may need, they, they got tons of pictures. It, it's just, I would look into it that you can go on YouTube and do lesson picks. They provide tons of tutorials that are free to watch. And you can, you know, look at that before uh, purchasing anything. So let's go into assessments. And I'm curious just to hear kind of, if you can just kind of succinctly put it, what's the assessment process look like in your district? I, I don't know if, in my district, we actually have a team of assessors that we send out to handle the initial assessments. So that's how we do it. But what's what's that initial assessment process look like? Uh, are your teachers using a standardized assessment? And if so, do you offer training on any standardized assessments or are there any standardized assessments you'd recommend to the listeners? So the process is that while the students, you know, the students should always start in general physical education. And while they're there, if the general physical education teacher feels like there are concerns, they can fill out a referral form that would go to an itinerant. We have an itinerant assigned to every single school, so they can send that, that to their itinerant for the itinerant then to the, the next step after they fill out the referral form would be for the IEP team to kind of come together, review the concerns, discuss if there are any interventions that need to be put into place or have interventions been tried, and if with those interventions, there are still concerns, then they move forward to a planning meeting where they will refer the student for an assessment, a formal assessment. Within Fairfax County, we have a best practice that the assessment that would occur, it is done in 30 days of the consent of the parents. Um, that's best practice. They do have up to 65 days, but best practice is to get it done in 30 calendar days. And so they'll do that. They'll administer the evaluation and then they'll write up the report, hold the, de the determination meeting. So the IEP team will come together, see what the report says and use that report to implement educational services and supports uh, if needed. And they'll prescribe this on the IEP through uh, accommodations and goals and services. In terms of standardized assessments, our field has a couple great assessments, standardized assessments for the younger age. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was teaching, I used the Battelle. I, I like the Battelle. 
my department right now is using the Daisy. They're very similar. They're for preschool ages. Um, both very good. They're great for preschool age because they're looking at students in the natural environment and seeing if they are uh, having are developing at a an age appropriate rate. Then you move to the TGMD three, and that's an one of the best ones that we have within adaptive physical education. It looks at the motor skills, but takes in consideration that I'm providing a command. Can the students follow my direction and perform the skill on command? And so that goes to about 10 years, 11 months. After that, it gets a little bit uh, wish-washy for our field. The most popular within our field or most recommended within our field above that, it, I think, is the Brockport. Brockport physical fitness test. My issue, and it's my personal issue with the Brockport, is that it was originally designed to be an alternative to fitness gram, and it is excellent as an alternative to the fitness gram. However, it isn't really, as a standardized tool, isn't really great as an evaluation because it doesn't really provide you age ranges and directly, you know, how many skills outside of the not in the healthy fitness zone equals that a student may need service or is uh you know as the the nation looks at is two two standard deviations below the norm you know so it it makes the analysis difficult even though it is standardized and peer reviewed it makes the analysis difficult and uh, um but that's where the informal data needs to come into play uh, there are there are other tools out there, but you know, uh, Dr. Vetter out in California is working on a secondary sports skills tool. On the East Coast, we really can't use that as a standardized tool at this time because it's really only now. Things may have changed since the last I heard, but at the time that I heard, which was I think over the past summer, she was only using data from within California. So within California. That, that could be a great standardized tool. But on the East Coast, um, it would be more of an informal tool. You know, we just bought that one, my department, and, and I've looked at it and there's pieces I definitely think are worth checking out. But some of the skills, though, like uh, one of them, I think, is that the students will catch with a baseball glove. And that's just it's just very specific, in my opinion. And I don't have many kids that are even exposed to baseball anymore, whether they're adapted phys ed or general phys ed. Like, so it's just sometimes you with these tests, you know, you have to give them within the exact rules and this and that, and they're very specific. So I think to your point about the Brockport, they're, they are a piece of the puzzle and it is up to us to then supplement with non-standardized or informal was the word you use, some of that informal data. And that's kind of the path I want to go down in that um, I'm on a website that I think you're pretty familiar with called myphysicaleducator.com. I believe it's yours. Yes. And I know that you have actually created assessments. And by the way, for those listening, myphysicaleducator.com, if you want if you want resources that are just free and quality. Um, and again, I'm not just saying that because Brad's the guest, but it's great. But Brad, you've why don't you walk us through some of the assessments that are on there? Maybe off the, in fairness to you, off the top of your head, maybe you don't remember them all. And I'll maybe point some out that I think look interesting, but it seems like you've got some non-standardized things up here that might be helpful to some of the listeners. Uh, yeah. Early on in my career, when I was working at an early childhood center, uh, one of the first, one of the first truly formal 
assessments that I created was called the Early Childhood Assessment of Physical Education Skills. This was looking, the, the assessments that I had prior we're looking at gross motor skills, but we know in physical education, um, we're looking at cognitive skills and social emotional skills. So I wanted, and again, it's non-standardized, but I wanted a tool where it would take in consideration all the three learning domains. Uh, and that would support, again, I was using the Battelle at the time. So that would support the Battelle in a, a, a good way to give me a lot of information. Uh, so that was the early childhood assessment of physical education skills. Uh, you either put a check mark or a minus, and it looked at skills for 24 month, 36 month, 48 and 60 month. A few years after that, there was a, a colleague at working at a school for students with significant support needs uh, who struggled with taking with having an assessment. And her name was Kira Labaugh. And she's so a Brockport alum. Yep. She is a Brockport alum. Yep. yep. And, and I knew her. And, and, you know, very knowledgeable. So she and I sat down together and thought about, you know, what skills would be taught. And then how do we break these down to be in a progression? And what do we want? What is the thing that we're looking at? Because we're not looking at, you know, mastery of grade level skills. And so we decided that let's look at independence, that we want to work towards increasing independence to whatever skill that is with the goal that when they leave school and they no longer have all the supports that we have to offer in school, that they can be as independent as possible, maximum potential outside in the community uh, with their families. So we work towards independence. But originally that document was created looking at independence and we created a, a four-point rubric mm -hmm. and so now you were able to kind of determine where were they in their level of independence so that you can write a goal towards becoming more independent if i can jump in here because i'm looking at it and i, I just want to call this out because it's an impressive document and for, for short do you call it the papi I sappy or do you actually I the poppy isopi, yeah. <laughs> poppy isopi. All right, there we go. So it's a, it's an impressive document for anyone listening. And two things I want to call out that stand out to me is when we talk about that secondary level and we talk about um, the informal data, you have an entire section on lifelong physical activity that includes things like bocce, bowling, miniature golf, hiking, speed walking, horseshoes, cornhole, racket sports, frisbee you know, all the way up through cycling, roller skating, dance, you know, great stuff. A lot of my population, team sports, forget about it, maybe have some skills that are found, you know, some fundamental skills, which are also in this, by the way, fundamental skills are in there, such as the, you know, rolling a ball, bouncing a ball, all that, but taking that and putting in a game, it's, it, it's just, it's hard, not that we won't build towards it, but, you know, in terms of their lifetime wellness, maybe that's not what fits in for the student. So there's that lifelong physical activity apart, I, I, I think is great. And then the other part I wanted to call out is, I think you included a social emotional piece in this, didn't you? Yes, there is a, a social emotional, or, or I forget what I call it, but there is a, definitely a social emotional piece within there. Again, we were looking at physical education, not just focused on the, the physical aspect, but uh, the cognitive and the social emotional piece. One of the things that uh, we thought about also was 
when students enter middle school, they start to, you know, get engaged with exercise physiology and anatomy. And so while there are pages that are called anatomy and exercise physiology, and just from that could scare a teacher, like, how am I going to do this? When you really look at what we're, what the assessment is looking at, it's looking at understanding body parts, but it's showing that connection to grade level curriculum. So as we think about the general education curriculum becoming more advanced in topics and skills, Kira and I really wanted to make sure that we were following those grade level standards. And what did that mean for our students with significant support needs? And how can we still assess those, those skills? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just again, since the listeners, as they're listening, probably aren't looking at this and I have it up in front of me. What's what I like about this assessment to everyone is that it's broken up into parts and you score different parts of it, meaning you don't have to necessarily give this entire thing. You could give portions of it. So I just pulled up the summary of personal social skills, which looks at dealing with stress and uneasiness, um, social interaction during physical activity, value of physical activity, appropriate behaviors, turn taking, advocating for self. And those and the reason I'm calling that one out right now for our listeners is I don't know if our listeners have encountered it, but I have, I can point to a kid having the gross motor skills and then it becomes the conversation of, but can they actually access physical education and have their needs met? And I've struggled to find uh, documents that can help support that other piece of it that say, well, they're struggling with turn taking or they're, um, you know, they can't deal with the stress or the uneasiness or the class size is too big. So there's, there's, like I said, there's that social emotional piece here. And just, again, you, you don't have to give the entire thing. You could give the, if it's a secondary student, you could do the life, the lifetime activity section or lifetime, lifelong physical activities, you called it and pair it with that social personality piece. And that would give you some really strong data for a secondary age student. 100%. I would not want anybody to try to do this all in one year. It is meant for a student that is uh, at a, at a level where or possibly there, you know, there are some centers that are in a school from kindergarten all the way to 21. So you're, you're really looking at what are the elementary skills? What are the middle school skills? What are the high school skills? And only focusing on that. And within that, you know, this document is also kind of meant to be data collection uh, across a year. You don't have to just use it for data collection across a year. You can utilize it for when you're doing an evaluation. So when I do an evaluations, I often select, uh, you know, the fundamental skills, not the the main one, but if you look at the physical activity personal booklet, they go into range of motion. And so when I'm doing an assessment, I look at the student's range of motion and ability to grasp the rudimentary skills, because that's going to guide my educational practice. And so after with Kira developing this initial document, I decided that I wanted to create a booklet for students. And that booklet is was also helpful for my paraeducators to be able, I gave them a highlighter and they would be able to support me in collecting data in the student's uh, yearly booklet. Yeah. And again, people can find that at myphysicaleducator.com. And I believe it's under the resources tab. And I mean, it's just, I mean, you have tables in there for scoring. It's an impressive and, and I'm sure it took quite a bit of time. But I, I want to keep us moving along here because I want to be respectful of, of your time, Brad. You're, I know I'm just going to bring up one more assessment yeah, that we do. just made last year. It's called the Secondary Concepts of Tactics and Skills in Physical Education. Ooh, and going back to 
what we spoke, and that's under the assessment uh, queue. If you go to assessment, uh, but one of the things that we were realizing is that we're assessing fitness, we're assessing uh, skills, but you know, in middle school and high school, we need to also take in consideration students' abilities to um, understand tactical concepts such as maintaining possession and such as, uh, you know, playing defense. And Absolutely. can we support them in that understanding and ability to do those? And I looked, I could not find anywhere another assessment that provided this. So last year, uh, I called the Scots. Uh, secondary concepts of tactical skill tactics and skills and physical education so when there's a need that seems to be when i go and create a, a tool and is that on your website it is if you click the resources tab and then click assessment you, you just you're, you're speaking the same language as me i i have brought that up to my fellow teachers to say yeah i, I understand they have they have gross motor skills but if you drop them in a game setting what are they going to do and if they're not, if, if they, you know, if you're, if your student is standing there while the game is whipping by them, they're not at that level, you know, they're not at that level. And we have, we have to find a way to support them. And maybe it's through a peer buddy. Maybe it's through a smaller game. Maybe through, it's a lead up game. It could be a variety of things, but we have to, we do have to find a way to support it. It's not just that, oh, they actually do throw with mature form, but well, they don't apply it in a game setting. So really the fact that they do that outside of a static situation is null and void, but it's, it's so true. Um, so where, you know, Brad, you're dialed in, you're involved with Nick Peed, you've, you've, you've written articles, you, um, you know, you've basically done it all, but where would you direct listeners to go to learn about best practices? You know, within best practices, I think the best way, if you're, if you're really going to get best practices, I would say you should be taking coursework. You can get instructional practices through social media, but it is very subjective to whether it is a best practice where if you really want to know if it's a, a best practice, I would probably take a, a course of some sort. But uh, in terms of instructional practices, Twitter seems to be a gold mind, and Facebook seems to be a gold mind. Palestra is a great place, a great uh, magazine to get, uh, you know, get some information from. Yeah, in terms of best practices, or evidence-based practices, you may want to take a, and nowadays, there are so many universities providing online courses in adaptive physical education. I would look into one of those. Yeah. Last summer, I had a chance to um, go through a three-week Melissa Bittner assessment course. Mm -hmm. at, and uh, Melissa, actually, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully listeners will have listened. I had Melissa on to just, just go deep on assessment and the process, because I feel like that that needs to be shared regularly. But I, I agree with you. And I picked up, you know, you mentioned the DACI earlier in this talk about an assessment that your department's using. Just by going to that, that's one that my department picked up and now we're now we're using it. So just that small thing, you know, of, and I can point to more things, but that's just one that comes to the top of mind for me. So I absolutely agree with that. All right, Brad, I do something pretty, uh, well, it's meant to be fun. I don't know how fun it is, but it's meant to be fun. But I do something with my guests where I usually uh, ask them some sort of rapid fire questions. And so I usually do about four or five of them. I've, I've done five, but uh, you ready for them? Let's do it. All right. Well, it's going to have to draw on your teaching experience a little bit. So um, what was your favorite piece of equipment when teaching? 
Uh, my face, favorite piece of equipment, my most fun piece of equipment was probably a leaf blower. Um, you know, my parents were moving out of their house in 2004, gave me a leaf blower, and I connected it to a switch, and it opened the world up for one of my students, and then a bunch after that. So uh, it's weird, but um, a lot of people are now using leaf blowers. So not as weird as it was, I guess, back in 2004. Yeah, we've had a lot of leaf blower talk on this podcast, quite honestly. And I, I actually, a really cool moment for me was someone emailed me to just say they were appreciating the show. I didn't know this person and that their big issue now is coming up with storage since they're trying to get into switches and leaf blowers and things like that. So that was definitely pretty awesome. Um, you're a very tech savvy individual. Um, at least that's one thing I take from you. And so uh, what about when it comes to the professional setting or teaching even for that matter, what is one app that, what is your favorite app? So, you know, it always goes to knowing the individual and using different apps for different individuals. Uh, one of my favorite apps that I may have used was um, random response apps. So if I wanted to call on somebody to do a skill or to ask a question uh, or just have a student press the button and then randomly group everybody, that was one of my favorite ones. It's a little bit uh could be a little bit weird for some people to hear that but other good ones are interval timers coaches eye i think somebody shared with you a website with a bunch of interval timers uh yeah, in um, one of prior episodes seconds pro actually is an app that i've used it's five bucks 4.99 and it's really cool you you can build any sort of interval timers you want there's a bunch of pre-done ones but the, the cool thing in my opinion and i suggest it to the listeners is you can put in text that it will use a robotic voice, but it will say it. So if you want to put a whole warm up together where for 30 seconds they're doing something and you can say it'll it'll announce whatever you put in as the text. So jumping jacks and then ready, begin. And then it does a countdown, three, two, one, rest. And so whatever you put in. So you can take this app, put a whole war, put a whole workout in there where then you can facilitate based on what's being called out and you don't have to be the one calling it out necessarily. Um, so yes, uh, seconds pro is that, and it's, yeah, I, I do recommend it. All right. What's a good one. <laughs> yeah. What's been your best teaching purchase under a hundred dollars, knowing that we're all on tight budgets personally, you listed lesson picks was 36 bucks a year, but what's been your best teaching purchase under a hundred bucks? You know, I, when I was teaching, I utilized a lot of, a lot of string rope, plastic bags, paper bags. Uh, and they allowed me to really de design a learning environment that spoke to my students. A piece of string with a ball and a plastic bag hanging from uh, a pie, and that string could be lowered to the foot so I can work on kicking, could be elevated to my uh, midsection to be working on striking. A paper bag, you cut the bottom off, you stick your foot in it, you kick your foot forward, it flies up, you catch it, you put your foot back in it, you're working on balance, kicking, uh, visual tracking, you know, so those items that are not necessarily from the the, the sport time or the, the gopher, those are the best. <laughs> yeah, and you can, you can, like you said, like a paper bag. I mean, they're a little bit harder to come by nowadays, but but not not too bad. You should still be able to find them. All right, let's think about your teaching bag that goes with you every day. Um, what is one thing in your teaching bag you just can't live without? So when I started teaching, they said, build your 
build your bag of tricks. And so when you bring this up, it kind of reminds me of what is my bag of tricks. And so I always would have some sort of sensory item within my bag uh, because we are all sensory people. We all respond to sensory in different ways. And so for me, knowing my students, I would have a sensory item in that bag. So when they are starting to struggle, are starting to um, struggle with balancing that sensory and they're responding in a way that is undesired, that I can pull out that sensory item and support them. And it's funny how just that little thing in your bag can make all the difference, right? Oh, definitely. And then last one for you, Brad, and you know, your perspective is going to be really valuable. You're now in a leadership position. You now hire teachers. What's the best piece of advice you'd give someone in our field? Know your students, build a relationship with your students. And, uh, you know, that if we can take the time to really get to know our students as individuals, that's a key because once you have a relationship with them, you can start to motivate them and really hit their potential. So take the time to get to know your students. Yeah. I actually tell people what I teach is fine. Like I think I'm a fine teacher if I'm being honest with you, but, but I, but I do have confidence in my ability to connect with kids and build an environment they at least come to. Right. So, um, and I think that that goes so much further. I, I joke with people and I say, I have kids that may not remember a single physical education thing I teach them. I hope that's not the case. Of course, I say it a little bit like with a smile on my face, but in 10 years, they'll remember that there was a teacher that cared about them though, you know, and wanted the best for them. And so, so I agree. Where can people find you? I've already called out myphysicaleducator.com. That's your website, but where else can people find you if they want to connect, maybe learn about APE and Fairfax, or just get to know more of the great work you've done throughout your pretty illustrious career, quite honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, you could always email me at uh, B for Brad, M for Michael, Wiener, W-E-I-N-E-R, at fcps.edu. Uh, you can go to the www.myphysicaleducator.com. I'm not on it so much, but you can catch me on uh, APE Teacher on Twitter, or what is it, at APE Teacher. On, so that's my Twitter account. Uh, I need to get better about being on that. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm around. Reach out if you have any questions. I'm happy to chat anytime. Brad, you gave a ton of information. I'm just going to tell people quickly, I, I finally got in front of that secondary concepts of tactics and skills, and that's immediately going to go into practice for me. So I, I'm looking at it right now off of Brad's website. So Brad, you've continuously put out stuff that you just you share with people and the field is truly better for it. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You're doing some great work with these uh these podcasts. So thank you for doing that and taking the time to do that. It's really helpful for our field. No problem. All right. Thanks, Brad. Take care.